Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the return of students to Indiana University. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We'll be talking with Dick McKegg, who is the Dean of Students at IU, and Roger Thompson, who's Vice Provost of Enrollment Management. Both have been on the show before, and welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. And Dick, thanks for being here. It's uh, fall in Bloomington, which means a whole lot more people here. And this year, the freshman class is uh, a fairly large one. Roger, you want to talk about the enrollment numbers? Uh, I'd love to. Uh, It's been a fantastic fall for us. Um, This year's freshman class uh, was the most talented academically freshman class I think we've ever had in the history of Indiana University. Uh, Whether you look at uh, grade point averages or standardized test scores uh, or any number of other measures, uh, this is an extremely good freshman class. And they're very diverse. It's also the most diverse class uh, in our institution's history. 18 percent of the campus now is uh, of a non-Caucasian uh, uh, ethnicity. And so any way we look at it, this is a terrific uh, freshman class for us. It was the most competitive uh, admissions process we'd ever had. And that, you know, caused some difficulties. There were students who um, who probably would have been admitted four or five years ago that maybe weren't this year. Uh, but when applications grow 18 uh, percent, we can't enroll a freshman class of 8,500 students. Uh, we just can't handle that. So um, so all in all, it's a, it's a terrific class. We're extremely pleased with the academic quality of this group, and, and uh, I think they'll do a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the – let's break this down a little bit. The, the numbers, uh, last year's freshman class was a l- slightly bigger, but it was the largest freshman class in the history of the university, wasn't it? It, it was, <laughs> and, and we actually were trying to be a little bit smaller uh, this year, and it turned out we were just a very little bit smaller. <laughs> um, uh, we were really targeting to have this freshman class under 7,000. Uh, however, our, our out-of-state students came in in much larger numbers than we anticipated, mm-hmm. and uh, that sort of drove the class up uh, to the 7,200 range. Right. What do you attribute that to? IU is red hot. <laughs> uh, we, we, nice job of staying on message, Roger. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, people, whether they're in uh, Muncie or Minneapolis, understand the great academic foundation that Indiana University has and the work that our faculty do, uh, the strength of our students both in the classroom and in uh, many other areas of campus life. I I think that resonates with students and parents and I I think it made us uh, very attractive to a lot of students, uh, not just in our state but other states. Our international enrollment uh, was up as well. So I I think it's, it's all attributable to many of the things that people who have been here a lot longer than me already know, and that is that Indiana University is a very special place, and um, I think the better we, uh, the better job we can do telling that message, I think the more likely students are to come. And you're at roughly a 60-40 split in-state, out-of-state. Is that about on goal for you, or, or what kind of goals do you have along those lines? Well, our goal was to be a little more in-state than, uh, than out-of-state. You know, we were down uh, about 150 students in state mm-hmm. uh, that that didn't enroll, and uh, out of state it it went up much higher than we had anticipated. So we kind of like that 61, 39, 62, 38 kind of mix. But this year, and had our class come in at 68, 6900, we would have been right on that. But the difference up to 7200 was primarily driven by out of state students. Now, which, here, oh. Excuse me. I, no, I just always wondered. There's. So, I always hear uh, talk about. Well, um, thus and such. You know, a, x number of people didn't show up. How can you get this far into the process and just not show up? I, I'm always puzzled by that. <laughs> you know, you've heard them say this. Surely, oh, yes, yeah. Sure. Right. Well, you know, we build uh, statistical models and we try to examine what we think the freshman class is going to look like. And when we get to May 1, which is the national deposit date, from that point through about the 1st of June, the middle of June, we begin to have a real good understanding of what our freshman class is going to look like. And at about that time, we realized that – and it was primarily driven by Chicago, quite honestly. Uh, We had very strong response from 
that section of Illinois at, at a much larger rate than we had anticipated, and that made the freshman class grow. Interesting. Now, now Raj, you, you uh, had an interesting phrase when you were talking. You said people who have been here a lot longer than I have, and we have the very definition of that sitting next to you and <laughs> Dick McKay. <laughs> Roger, I'm his shill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, you've been here for a couple of years, right? Two yeah. years? Well, no, 14 months. 14 months, months okay. Yeah. And Dick, you've been here for? Uh, this is my 37th fall yeah, at so the you, university. So you've been here for quite a while. Can you um, – Sort of put this in perspective. I mean, the size and the the kind of numbers with SAT scores for this freshman class, and how that you know how that differs from a decade ago, two decades ago. Sort of give us some perspective on this. Well, I think you really begin to appreciate what a, a talented class means to the university as they work their way through the system. So, in one sense, it's a little early, although it creates a certain excitement. It sends a message. Uh, as I was walking over here, I saw a, a group of high school students being toured around the campus, and I'm sure one of the messages they've heard is this year's class was very talented. That makes talented students be interested in Indiana University. So over the years, we've had uh, wonderful students that I've worked with and enjoyed, but uh, it will even be a better institution if the academic profile of our students continues to rise. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of us think that if you're working with them, they're uh, a problem child. <laughs> so you might want to talk about the positive side of the well, dean of students' role. The dean of students uh, does, unfortunately, have to deal with students who sometimes don't observe regulations. Uh, That isn't always directly related to uh, SAT scores, however. Sometimes uh, students that uh, have high ability also uh, find themselves in some difficulty. But uh, I deal with a number of students in in settings outside the classroom that are involved in organizations or volunteering in the community or or helping to make this a better university. Uh, I had a chance this week to meet with some students who are interested in Teach for America. Mm-hmm. Uh, that program after graduation where a student spends a couple of years teaching in a in, a, in typically a ch- very challenging area. And we send more students into that program than any other university other than Michigan. And I am still as my goal is to beat Michigan in that. And, and of course, students from Indiana University are heavily represented in the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of fine students here who contribute to our community while they're students and then contribute to the world when they graduate. Mm-hmm. Our phone numbers are 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I want to remind you our guests are Dick McKaig, Dean of Students at Indiana University, and Roger Thompson, Vice Provost of Enrollment Management at IU. Dick also has the title of Vice Provost, so we have two Vice Provosts here with us today. Um, Roger, I want to go back to some of uh, break down this freshman class a little bit. You mentioned the 18 percent of the freshman class is minority. Mm-hmm. Non-Caucasian. Um, how's that compare to last year's class and previous and the student body as a whole? Right. Uh, last year's freshman class uh, was also one of the most diverse uh, that we had ever enrolled, and that class was seventeen uh, percent um, uh, minority. This year, we saw the most growth uh, out of uh, Asian Americans, uh, Hispanics. Uh, African Americans were flat. We were a little disappointed that we didn't get some growth there. Uh, but I think we've got some financial aid programs and some other things that we've done that will help. But overall, when we look at the diversity of the campus, uh, a, a diverse freshman class only enhances uh, what we're going to see, you know, freshman through senior or graduate or professional mm-hmm. student. So uh, I, I think the part I like about that is sometimes people think that as quality goes up, you become less diverse or you begin to um, exclude certain groups of students. And uh, that's never our goal. And that certainly hasn't been what occurred in this freshman class. Mm-hmm. And, and Dick, talk about the, uh, the, the fact that di- what, what diversity means to um, a university. Well, it's interesting. You raised the question on Monday night. It was at our Neil Marshall uh, Black Cultural Center in that very discussion. And a number of students were talking about why is diversity important? And, and in one sense, uh, it's important just because of the quality of the education you get. Uh, but for those who are sort of instrumentalists and want to know, yeah, but how does that pay off? Uh, clearly, the employers that come to Indiana University and are looking for graduates, are looking for graduates that are 
comfortable in working in diverse work settings. Their, their marketplace is a diverse marketplace and they need to be able to move their product to that diverse marketplace. And so they're looking for individuals who've had experiences in working with students from other individuals from all races, people that have international understanding as we become a more global uh, economy. Um, and so it, it's in many respects, it is a now a, a hallmark of a quality education. You could not be a quality institution and not have a diverse student body because the graduates, frankly, wouldn't be prepared to live in the world they're going to go into. Right, especially with project-based learning and you're, you have to learn how to work with all different kinds of people. And if you don't come away from college with that ability, then you do go out into the workplace at an extreme handicap, a great disadvantage, I think. Yeah, I want to talk about the, the international aspect of that. And, and again, you've been here for quite a long mm-hmm. time and, and as we – all know and people who are listening who are familiar with IU know that, that Herman Wells was sort of the architect of IU as an international community. But how, how has that changed over time? It, seemed, it seems to me from my outside vantage point looking in that IU is, is more international. Have, they, IU has more students that are participating in international programs. There are more students from international universities who are coming to IU. More IU students studying abroad, mm-hmm. in fact, is one of the the uh, programs in which the university is putting additional resources. Uh, as we're looking at the next North Central accreditation, we're focusing on our international efforts, both the work we do in international education, but also the students that come here from abroad and the students we send abroad. Um, it, 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 we, at the same time that I'm saying what a wonderful job we're doing, we need to honestly admit that the diversity at Indiana University and the interaction of international students with American students is not where we need it. Uh, there are students here on this campus who in 15 years are going to be leading their countries. They're going to be leading their international companies and we have students sitting in our classrooms who are going to – be American citizens saying, I wish we had better relations with that country. I wish we knew I could figure out a way to get into their marketplace. Well, the answer is probably on the other side of the classroom or maybe down the hall in the residence hall. And uh, mm-hmm. it is a challenge that we're facing in making not only the campus ready for diversity, but also that students learn from that diversity. You know, I, if I could just add one thing to, to what Dean McKaig said. We both attended a reception for international students uh, that was kicking off the the school year. And it was amazing to see the diversity of countries uh, that were represented. Uh, This is not a homogeneous international group. Uh, And so that brings many uh, additional factors to the table as well when you have students from India or, or all over the world. Uh, many countries were represented, and, and that enhances the learning that, that students have in their classroom. What percentage of these freshmen, let's just use the freshman class, um, do you believe will have an international experience? Either will travel abroad. Uh, I, I guess international experience. I mean, more than just sitting next to somebody from another country. <laughs> that we're both looking at each other. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what. I know we're sending hundreds of students abroad every semester, but I don't know what percentage of our graduates actually have that experience at the end of the four years they're with us. I, I don't either. I thought you were going to go a different direction. Okay, which was what direction what, do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were going to ask what percentage of the freshman class was international. Uh-huh. Uh, well, that's that's which, good. That's a good question. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that one I can answer, um, which is uh, about three and a half percent up from 3% last year. So again, we're talking about an incremental uh, increase. If we go back four years, uh, it was just under 3%. So, and literally, as, as we sit here, we have an international admissions person in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, she flew out, I think, this week. So um, the, the incoming student population is becoming more international, and I, I feel confident that Dean McKaig's correct in that uh, many of our students are studying abroad in large numbers. I just don't know what those yeah, would be. Yeah, it seems like when Michael McRobbie was on the show, he talked about yes. like 30 percent, like 33%, percent, yeah. a third. He'd like to have a third at least. I don't know. That kind of rings I think that, I think that rings a bell. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mr. Hutton, uh, who's helped with our Hutton Honors College, yes. has made this one of his priorities in helping the institution. And it, as I said when I was speaking to him once, 
if you talk with a student who studied abroad and returns, they're different. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. They know they've gone through a life-changing experience. And the more we can get our students involved in that, the better we'll be. Yeah, we've, again, Michael McRobbie has certainly stressed that as he's been on our show. But we haven't had the opportunity to have both of you or either of you, I guess, on the show since uh, Michael McRobbie uh, came on as president. And so I'd like to get the impression, impressions from both of you. Um, what kind of marching orders have you been given? Uh, well, there's a, there's a new excitement in the air. There's no question about that. Uh, I'm involved with a project where we're going to be sampling student opinion. It's called the Student Voice Project, and we're trying to engage as many students on the Bloomington campus as we can, several hundred, in conversations about what are their recommendations for creating the ideal college environment. Uh, that Those panels are now being put together, and they'll be making recommendations to President McRobbie sometime uh, by the start of the second semester. Um, the, the president's open office hours for students uh, a week or so ago uh, was interesting. There were a couple of kids who just stopped by to see what Michael McRobbie looked like and to see his <laughs> office. And then there were others who wanted to talk about some very specific issues they were concerned about, some environmental issues, some issues about uh, student benefits on the campus. So there, there's an openness and an excitement uh, that I think uh, uh, really speaks well of where we're headed as an institution. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm probably uh, – I would echo much of, of what Dick has said. Uh, the momentum that you feel on campus, uh, I really believe that, that Michael has a very clear vision of where he would like this institution to go. And as it relates to our area, it, it's about making sure we share the message uh, that all that Indiana University offers, we want to make sure people know all about that in the recruitment process, and we want to serve them well from the time they're admitted and enrolled all the way through to graduation if they if they touch our areas. So I think the momentum uh, is beginning to build. Uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be a very exciting time at Indiana University because every conversation I've ever had with Michael McRobbie, uh, he refuses to believe that this institution can't reach heights that many people may not even imagine. And when you're working with someone like that, uh, you're fired up to get up in the morning and, and come in and get to work. We've been compared sometimes unfavorably to our neighbor to the north, Purdue University, and, and it's been said by, by many folks that, you know, maybe they've pulled out ahead of us by, by quite a bit. Is that a, a something that you have heard or is that a source of concern for you or is it more of a uh, – do you look at that relationship as more of a, a partnership? Well, in terms of the student body, I, I, we draw on that Indiana pool of students, which are a really wonderful group of students to work with. I view it more as a partnership. Uh, I certainly hope we beat them badly in football and basketball <laughs> and a number of other areas. But uh, in, in terms of our student governments uh, working together on issues, uh, the student affairs staff at, at the university have a great deal of respect for. So I see us sharing issues and concerns and, and better serving the state. You know, I think the state of Indiana is very, very fortunate. We have two outstanding research universities in this state, and many states in our country can't claim one, let alone uh, two of the high quality that we have with IU and Purdue. And while we compete for some students, you would be surprised how many students we're really not competing for in the admissions process. Uh, kids just have different interests and their fits are a little bit different. And so while we're competitive in, mm -hmm. in terms of trying to get the best and brightest, uh, to come to our respective schools, uh, you know, it's always more fun to compete against a friend. And so I think that uh, I see us as, as colleagues that are trying to improve the state of Indiana and Indiana's future economy by educating the best kids uh, at our respective institutions. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Mary Catherine and I have a whole lot of questions for Dick McCaig and Roger Thompson, but we're sure that you out there have some too, so please feel free to give us a call. I do have an email that came in from a local citizen. It says, is there any way of educating students on bicycle safety? It seems like lots of students ride bicycles the wrong way on one-way streets and do not stop at stop signs. Is there any hope of some sort of bike safety campaign before it becomes a tragedy? The, uh, one of the groups that I work with on campus is our Commission on Personal Safety, and we have a subcommittee on bicycle safety. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that group has been concerned about that issue. Another group that's helped actually has been the Student Foundation because of their interest in cycling. Uh, they've 
through their resources talked about bicycle safety, particularly with people who are training for that race. Um, it, it is true that uh, the, the typical college student uh, on occasion uh, doesn't identify their bicycle in the same way they do their car. Mm-hmm. And so they probably don't pay attention to stop signs. They're sometimes on the sidewalk. Um, we, we, through our registration program for bikes, uh, through Commission on Personal Safety Efforts, have, have, have tried to educate students in this regard. It, it has been an uphill battle, and I'm not sure that we have made a significant difference. Um, the bike lanes in the city have been one effort to try and address uh, bicycle safety by putting them in a predictable area on a street so drivers of cars can be aware of them. And on campus, we deal with bicycles coming quickly down pedestrian pathways as and, and particularly crowded time periods. Uh, our IU police, I know, have in, in selective enforcement time periods tried to bring the attention of uh, cyclists by uh, stopping and citing cyclists to avoid who uh, disregard stop signs. Um, uh, I guess we'd be open to ideas that anyone out there in the community might have uh, to ways that we can be more effective in this area. Okay. Issues like this are serious, um, but it it is true that the population you're dealing with is mainly mainly 18 to 22 years old. People in that age group think they're sort of invincible and don't always use the best judgment. It's just part of what you deal with every day. Uh, unfortunately, that's true. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a, a group uh, in your comments, the Student Foundation, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you'd like to talk at all about what the Student Foundation is and what they do. Well, it's a wonderful group of students who uh, um, really take their cue from the IU Foundation, and that is Build Friends for Indiana University. Now, on our campus, uh, they provide a significant opportunity for engagement with traditional events called, the well, the Little 500, the IU Sing, the running events that they hold during the course of the year some of their philanthropy activities that they do around the community. And more recently, uh, they have uh, received some funds through the Mets Foundation to uh, allocate money to help student organizations achieve their goals on the campus. Uh, So it's a very well-rounded organization that involves uh, hundreds of students, uh, both working to provide programs on on campus to raise money for scholarships. Uh, They're the group, by the way, since we're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11, that created the three 9-11 scholarships in memory of the three IU students who lost uh, fathers, I believe it was, in, in that uh, uh, terrible tragedy. And so uh, they, they find ways to help the campus uh, during the course of the year. Mm-hmm. I, Thank you. I think it's, it's you know, fair to say, uh, you know, I mentioned the 18 to 22-year-olds who sometimes don't make the best decisions. Well, neither do we. But, um, <laughs> but we, we hear about it and people sort of you know, complain about the, the thing when they see a bicyclist or, as I did the other day, a skateboard rider who is dodging in and out between buses. But, you know, we do not talk enough about the, the great things that students do. And, you know, Dick, you were talking about how, you know, we, we alluded to your role as dean of students, and that's sometimes disciplinary. Mm-hmm. But there are so many of those organizations that you're involved with where the students are adding so much to the community. The the 38,000 students on this campus in the course of a year, typically about 5% will encounter the campus judicial system. And many of those are for things such as maybe the stereo too loud or or, uh, a a single incident of having a beer at the wrong time. And so in terms of very serious incidents, uh, very few. And it is a wonderful student body uh, uh, to work with each year. And that's really what makes my job so enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I think one of the neat things about this freshman class, when we went through the Welcome Week activities, uh, both of which participated, uh, both of us participated in those extensively. Um, this freshman class was really engaged. Uh, our Culture Fest activity, as an example, uh, we filled the auditorium and we had students standing outside in what seemed to be at least 140 <laughs> degrees. Uh, yes. But it probably was. And you used to live in Alabama. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. <laughs> yeah, it seemed hot to me. It was a rough week. For, uh, I felt sorry for this. But, but we had students standing outside who couldn't get in to see the program, yet were waiting for their friends and colleagues to come out from the auditorium and then explored all of the diverse uh, foods and, and culture and artwork and music. It was just fantastic. Uh, and, and at least the folks on my team indicated that, that that was very different from other years to just have that many folks really engaged in that type of program. And we saw that throughout the week on the service day on Saturday. Uh, we had freshmen out working in the Bloomington community uh, to try to help folks. This year throughout 
orientation. Uh, Melanie Payne and, and uh, the folks on our team in, in orientation conducted a food drive throughout the whole summer, and they raised, well, gosh, now I don't know, but tons. I mean, I think literally tons uh, of canned food that went to the Hoosier uh, Food Bank. So our students do a lot of things, as, as uh, the dean has alluded to. Uh, that that really benefit our community and society. And so, yes, once in a while they're on a skateboard going the wrong way and (laughs) I get as frustrated as anybody with that. But they're doing many, many good things that we don't hear about. And we might also note that last Saturday night in that football stadium was the first time I've seen that student side totally filled right right. up to the corner. Uh, And I hope we see that again because that kind of school spirit uh, really adds to the environment. We're going to take one phone call before we have to go to our break. So let's go to Andy on the phone. Andy? Hi, how y'all doing today? Doing fine. A uh, question uh, that arised that maybe the, the freshman class is large comparatively because of the fact that, you know, one is academics, but the other one is uh, possibly finances. Uh, is, is IU competitive in its, in, in its tuition compared to other schools? The reason why I'm saying that is I've got – one that's going to be going here very shortly, and I've already sent one off to Ivy Tech, and and even that small of a community college, I mean, it's it's quite a bill to flip, and uh, I, I know we'll probably have to do the student loan thing, and and possibly, uh, you know, they're bright enough kids they may get uh, scholarships and such. We're looking into all that, but I'm just wondering what kinds of things are are, are you looking at as far as um, being compared to uh, other schools in the state and out of state as well. All right, Andy, thanks a lot Great for the question. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Um, you know, the cost of higher education, like most things in our life, uh, continues to increase, and it is the most significant investment a family will make short of their home. And we recognize that that, that creates financial difficulty uh, uh, for folks. We put in a number of new financial aid programs this last year, some of which roll out this year. Uh, we put together a program called Pell Promise, which is directed to help middle-income families, uh, those families that are uh, Pell Grant eligible from the federal government. IU will make up the difference between the Pell Grant and the cost of tuition. Uh, we put in a new program, the 21st Century Scholar Covenant, which helps uh, – low-income to middle-income families, uh, provide for the whole cost of attendance. And this fall, we introduce a new program, IU Excellence, uh, which rewards students for strong academic ability. It's, again, only for Indiana residents, and it's designed to hit those students that are the very best at the top of their uh, high school class, and it provides them uh, the equivalent of full tuition to come to IU. So we're trying to make uh, the university affordable, I really share, as the father of two girls, um, what Andy's saying in his call, and uh, we believe we're providing a world-class education uh, at a cost that's that's reasonable compared to other peers. But I know it's a significant investment for families to make. Mm-hmm. But the return on that investment uh, comes <laughs> back uh, much larger. Right. Okay. We've hit uh, the time that we have to take a break. Our guests again are Dick McKaig, Dean of Students at Indiana University, and Roger Thompson, Vice Provost of Enrollment Management. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for A Night at the Opera. The annual event raises funds for Middleway House, Monroe County Shelter for Battered Women and Children. This year's event features performances by Lisa Williamson and IU faculty member Tim Noble. Herald Times columnist Peter Jacoby will offer commentary, and WFIU's George Walker will be the MC. A Night at the Opera takes place Saturday, September 8th in the Kelly School of Business, and it begins at 5 p.m. More at WFIU.org.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Dick McKegg, Dean of Students at Indiana University, and Roger Thompson, Vice Provost of Enrollment Management at IU. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Now, before I get back to you two, I do have to mention that uh, in two weeks, we're going to be having the mayoral candidates, Mark Cruzan and David Sabah here. We won't be taking phone calls that day, but we hope that uh, our listeners will send us their email questions in advance. You can use the usual noon edition email, noon at indiana.edu, and submit your questions for uh, Mayor Cruzan or the challenger, David Sabag. Uh, so please send us your questions, and that's in two weeks on September 21st. Yep. So. They probably ought to listen to that show in their car so they can be seatbelted in. <laughs> it's going to be so exciting. That's right. Just like this one. Yep. Just like this one. Well, there, there are several different uh, areas we can go to. I wanted to, I wanted to uh, before we get to that email, I wanted to ask about, um, Roger, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, IU, Purdue, two great research institutions. We've talked a lot about more about Ivy Tech Community mm-hmm. College in the last few years, and I know there's a connection between IU and Ivy Tech that wasn't there before. Yeah, there is. Uh, Ivy Tech... Uh, as our as our state's community college system provides a tremendous service and, and value to uh, educating citizens across the state. And we developed a few years ago, uh, Jack Rhodes, uh, our associate vice provost, kind of led this effort uh, along with some other folks. We developed a program where students who uh, were not admitted or not admissible to uh, IU had the opportunity to go to Ivy Tech. Uh, they study there. Uh, they take a couple classes at Ivy Tech. They take a few classes uh, on our campus, and they also have the opportunity to live on our campus. And at the end of the first year, uh, if they've done well and, and progressed and, and made the grade, so to speak, uh, then they have the opportunity to come over uh, to IU as a sophomore. And it's a great program. Uh, we've had a, a terrific data. I didn't bring it with me, uh, but suffice to say the students are doing very well. They get great support both from Ivy Tech uh, and here on our campus. And it's a real opportunity for students to fulfill that goal of earning a four-year degree and maybe getting some some better grounding and preparation academically uh, before they come over to our campus. So you it's know, a terrific program. And as a citizen and a taxpayer, I think that, you know, the end goal is to turn out people who are going to be productive members of society. And this this is this just makes so much sense to have these two institutions working together as, instead of the old model was, was competitive to some extent and, and uh, much less of a, a team atmosphere. So I, I think, you know, that's been a really wonderful change to watch happen in this community over the last, I, don't, I think it's been probably 10 years that the process has been going on. I should have mentioned it's a great partnership, too, between uh, Dean McCaig and I's uh, respective organizations because the folks in the residence hall, uh, Pat Connor and, and some of the, the, the people that work in Dick's area, uh, you know, they do a terrific job in ensuring that uh, the students in Hoosier Link understand what the college experience is about. They feel a part of the community uh, and that, I think, only aids in their success uh, mm-hmm. academically. So there, there really are lots of things going on beyond sort of this admissions take some classes process. Hold on to that email. We're going to go to the phones first. So let's go to Nasreen on the phone. Nasreen? Yes. Good afternoon. I would like to ask the gentlemen on the panel um, about the recycling in the campus. Now, I arrived rather late. I didn't hear all of the discussion, so I don't know whether this has been discussed or not. If it hasn't, it's a worthy uh, thing that I would like to uh, mention it, that the state of recycling in the campus is not so good, to say the least. And I was wondering, is it possible that some serious uh, regards would be uh, given into this subject because it's so important. Also, if the university could spend a little bit of money to educate the incoming students, still the, the old students and the international students, American students, all of them, about the value and importance of recycling. Even in the main library, it is such a mess sometimes, uh, and uh, it, it is a pity so much so much, uh, especially junk mail, for instance, in the West University where I live, I see that has it is just thrown away. All the junk mail is just um, 
you know, a whole bunch of uh, books and uh, mail that is disregarded, you know, discarded. All of them are being thrown into the trash. And the glasses they don't recycle anymore. For a while, the recycling was completely closed. We didn't even have the recycling because everybody was making such a mess. The students, they are not educated about recycling, and there is no program to bring their attention into this very important subject. Thank you for the, uh, the bringing up that topic. Dick? Yeah, and I haven't been directly involved in some of these efforts. Interestingly, this is one of the issues that a student raised with President McRobbie during open office hours. Uh, the university uh, does have a recycling effort in our residence halls that uh, is sort of shut down during move-in time period, as I understand it, because of just the volume of, of, of materials, but uh, is being reestablished. Our students uh, coming to us, if you want to talk about how students have changed. Environmental issues are again catching the attention of this generation and I think they are challenging the university to do more. Uh, the campus now has again a, a sustainability task force uh, and in fact this summer we hired uh, several students, uh, can't remember the exact number, uh, to work on specific sustainability environmental awareness kinds of projects and make recommendations to the university. Um, Terry Claypack's office has been very much involved in providing leadership in this area and and there are efforts underway I think the caller is right uh, it, as I visit with other my colleagues around the country uh, green issues have been discussed more in those meetings than I've heard in some of our meetings on campus uh, but some of it goes on almost uh, under the uh, under the radar screen I guess you might say because our own uh, physical plant and in my own office I have a, a place where I can put recycled paper uh, from trash and and so some of it is almost institutional and, and may not have that same visibility that it once had uh, when we were just creating the programs. Uh, great efforts in energy conservation at the university in recent years with some of the uh, uh, equipment enhancements that were in place to monitor electricity use and heating and air conditioning. Uh, so I think there, there are some things going on. I agree and understand there are more that can be done. Now, Serena, we may be able to talk about this more uh, at a later date too because I know that the uh, – there's been a suggestion for the Sustainability Task Force folks to come on here uh, to do a program, and I know our producer, Catherine, is probably hard at work on that right now. So we'll, ta we'll, we'll talk about that topic uh, more later, and hopefully you'll listen to that and phone us with your questions. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot Thank for the Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. And here's an email that came in. It says, uh, does a more talented freshman class mean the university is becoming less accessible? Can you talk about what the university is doing with its scholarship programs and how that may affect access to the university? You touched on this a little bit earlier. You might want to go into a little more detail if you can. Absolutely. Um, access and affordability are two critical issues for Indiana University, and they're so critical uh, that we've committed new resources to each of those initiatives. Uh, we've also hired a, uh, a director of scholarships, Sarah Boer, uh, who I feel confident will do an outstanding job in this role in helping to share the message of the financial uh, scholarships that are available and financial aid that's available to uh, Indiana residents. We introduced several new programs. I mentioned all of those. Um, I, I guess in summary, I would just say that uh, this is the flagship institution of this state, and it's very important that we educate the best and brightest students in this state. And uh, that means that we need to make sure we're uh, cognizant of, of how we serve our resident students and that we make sure Indiana University is affordable, not just here in Bloomington, uh, but throughout the rest of the campuses that make up Indiana University. Dick, um, a little while ago you made reference to the residence halls, and mm -hmm. I think that um, – Probably lots of us who, who live in Bloomington would like to know a little bit more about are all freshmen now obligated to live in the residence halls? Can they start off uh, off campus? Um, and just how that relationship plays out. And Roger, also from your standpoint, um, you know, what role does the what role do the do the residence halls play in your recruitment efforts? Well, about five years ago, the campus looked seriously at. at all the things we were doing to increase student retention. Uh, and it was our 
consensus opinion that life in the residence hall as a freshman is one of the best ways we can connect the student to the campus. So freshmen are required to live on campus. We make accommodations, obviously, for folks who are going to live with their parents at home in Bloomington or folks who are commuting, say, from Spencer or even some exceptions made for someone who, for economic reasons, is living with an older brother or sister who's already a student here and lives off campus. But generally, that means 90-some percent of the students who are new to the campus live in the residence halls. That's where they have an RA nearby who is familiar with university services and can be sure they get connected. That's where our student academic support centers are located. So when they need assistance in tutoring, that it's sort of on their doorstep. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where we can best orient them into the campus community. And so Roger was talking about Culture Fest and the wonderful crowd that we had there. Part of that wonderful crowd was probably generated by RAs who went up and down the floor before that program and said, come on, we're going to the auditorium. Uh, And it's that kind of leadership that we get from the upperclassmen who serve in our residence halls to help freshmen know what it means to connect with Indiana University. It really becomes a part of the academic mission of the university in the sense that we're getting students involved in the campus. And the more involved they are, the greater the likelihood they're going to retain to graduation. But Dick, don't you think also it's an opportunity for these students to meet friends that they're going to have for the rest of their lives? Well, that that absolutely happens. The students who are living off campus, if you talk with them, you'll find a good percentage met their roommate mm. when their freshman year. may not have been their roommate, may right. have been the guy next door or down the hall, but they met, they made those linkages in that residence hall, which is the mix of all the 7,200 freshmen from around the world uh, and from every state in the nation. Yeah. I would just add that the folks who work in our residence halls are simply outstanding. We have some of the best uh, leaders and professionals working in our halls from the folks that, that lead and direct the organization through our RAs and the training that they get. You asked the importance of residence halls and recruitment. And I think the programming that we do in our residence halls is second to none. I would also say that the physical facilities of our residence halls are far from second to none. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, none near second? None near second. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and I'm a person who always says that facilities are just big buildings until you put people in them and that the people always make the difference. And I fundamentally believe that And the people that work in our halls, as I said, are, are some of the best. But uh, cinder block walls and uh, residential facilities that... Um, quite frankly, haven't been updated uh, since probably the Eisenhower administration, uh, need some work if we're going to appeal to the millennials, Mm -hmm. the 15 to 18-year-olds that are coming now. Uh, I I think it can be something that tips the balance, especially on high-ability students that have lots of options. And if you don't believe that residence halls are important in recruitment, look at what all the other Big Ten schools are doing. They're either remodeling or building new residential facilities. And so uh, I think it's very important in recruitment. So do you have people who say, I want to see, I want to walk through a residence hall before I make this choice? Well, we have people that want to see residence halls all the time. It's Mm -hmm. part of our basic tour. And uh, the folks in in residential programs and services, uh, you know, take those students and show them uh, what average rooms look like and what dining facilities look like and so on. Uh, but, you know, there are many campuses across this country that are building new facilities for that very reason. Now, how much it, it tips a student, whether they come or not, um, you can see varying levels of data on, on that particular issue. But I, I certainly think it's, it's important. You know, we're asking families, we're asking parents to entrust us with what matters most in their entire life, their son or daughter. And to ask someone to, to leave that precious human being in our care uh, for four, five, hopefully not six years, uh, unless they're going to graduate school, um, you know, it's a significant responsibility. And, and it means that we need to care for them uh, in all aspects of their university life. And so uh, residential living is very important. This past summer, we air conditioned an additional tower in the residence hall system. So we now have more air conditioned rooms. And, and thank God, given the way this fall started, yeah. uh, we've experimented now with a uh, new bathroom uh, approach. One of the issues that we are always commented on is, is privacy. And so in four floors in two of our residence halls, Uh, We've been able to adapt a new structure uh, where there are 10 private bathrooms 
on each floor as opposed to the old gang shower environment. And those 10 bathrooms can handle the flow of all the individuals that, that live on that floor. But during the time you're in the bathroom, you're in a private contained space that is just yours. And those kind of renovations uh, are just a part of an ongoing plan to upgrade the quality of our residence halls. But it is – it should be a high priority for this campus because it is a challenge we face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wondered if any parents um, uh, or, or I don't know, children balk at the uh, prospect of, of having to go into a residence hall. I agree with you completely that it's an absolutely – important part of your college experience to live there for a year. But is it an issue, uh, an issue added with admissions? Yeah, it can be sometimes. I think that as uh, our society changes, we see new elements come into this. It's not only the physical facilities. It's, you know, what does my roommate look like from websites or Facebook? Um, you know, there's any number of new issues that get presented to us as our world around us changes as quickly as it does. And so uh, I would like to believe that a student comes to Indiana University because uh, they believe in the academics, uh, the foundation, the very core uh, of what our institution offers. But I think I would be naive uh, to say that some of the things that happen, uh, you know, on athletic fields or in residence halls or the, uh, you know, little 500 or other things don't have uh, as an equal impact with some of those students. And so it's a very important part of what we do. And and I think our folks in, in residential life, uh, I really believe they, they know where they need to go uh, and, and have the ideas and the plans to really do some things with our facilities um, that could really make a difference. It always takes money, though. It does. Right. <laughs> right. And, and people set priorities for right. where that money is sure. going to be spent. We only have about six or seven minutes left in the program. If you have a quick call, quick question, eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I wanted to follow up on this recruitment um, and the changes in recruitment. We had a story in our paper this morning about recruiting on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that, Roger? Yeah, that was uh, – uh, I'd love to tell you that that was something we were highly involved in, but we really weren't. Uh, this came out of our creative services area on campus, and uh, we saw some of the videos that they had done maybe a month or two ago. We were in a meeting and, you know, that, that matches uh, right in line with the environment that students operate in today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we introduced a new recruitment DVD, and both of those items play in the same medium, you know, uh, reaching students in ways that are powerful. And millennials especially like to hear from other students. You know, guys in ties uh, don't have as much credibility with 15 to 18-year-olds as they did even five years ago. And so anytime you can have students talking to students, uh, and that's really what the YouTube videos do, uh, it's extremely beneficial from a recruitment standpoint. They did a good job with it. Right. Okay. Have we gotten back to never trust anybody over 30? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, Dixon went in here wearing a tie. <laughs> and I trust him. You know, I, we were talking about the freshman class today, but I also want to talk just for a moment, if we could, about uh, graduate students. How's that recruitment going? Um, you know, are, are, is Indiana University an attractive place to be a graduate student? And what kind of special challenges do uh, recruiting and, and I guess maintaining, for lack of a better word, those students for, have for both of your offices? Well, one of the things that's absolutely true, I think, in the graduate students is what is the quality of the academic department? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that arena, uh, the programs that we have at Indiana University, of course, stand in good stead. Uh, the School of Music, the Kelly School, their MBA program, the College of Arts and Sciences and its graduate programs uh, are very, very attractive. Uh, we don't get involved as much with graduate students in the dean of students' office. Uh, many of them choose to live off campus, mm-hmm. so they're not in our residence facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and many times their concerns and issues focus really just around their department. And uh, in a law school, for instance, you have a, a student affairs officer that handles students' concerns in the law school. Uh, but we have a very active organization on campus called the Graduate and Professional Student Organization. Uh, they're a part of the Dean of Students Advisory Board, interact with other student organizations on that board in trying to uh, make recommendations regarding university policy. And it is true that I think at the master's level, some of my colleagues around the country would say 
that the, some of our youngest graduate students, uh, as these millennials have worked their way through college, are becoming a lot like our undergraduates in terms of their expectations for the university for service and support activities. And, and that may be a change that's occurred in the last uh, 30 or so years, that graduate students may have been a more independent lifestyle from the campus than is in true for, for at least our youngest graduate students now. Interesting. New trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We only have a few minutes to go, and I sort of hate to bring this topic up so late in the program, but I did want to talk, since we have Dick here, about alcohol on campus and that as an issue and your efforts to curb alcohol use. It, it of course, is a a serious matter that continues to be of concern. Uh, You've only had to see in the paper recently concerns we've had about arrests that have been made during the start of the school year. I'm sure some are uh, concerned about those, and I always say that that's one of our methods of addressing the problem. We do not ignore it. Uh, This year, however, one new initiative was a computerized uh, course that students took before moving on campus. Uh, When they came for freshman orientation, they were told about Alcohol EDU. It's been used by several campuses across the country. I think we may be the largest campus to use it. Uh, It provides baseline education for students about alcohol, the effects of alcohol on the body, uh, being aware of signs of alcohol poisoning. That is followed up by another uh, short uh, interactive session they do on the computer about three weeks into the semester. We were very fortunate to receive a federal grant. Uh, One of our professors in uh, health, physical education, and recreation is uh, working on that federal grant to – to not only provide the program but to evaluate the effectiveness of the program. Um, the trend signs are good. Recent studies about high school and junior high students' uh, use of alcohol and other uh, drugs show a decrease in the use of alcohol. And as that generation moves to campus, uh, maybe some of the other initiatives we have in place will begin to address that problem. Uh, but still, it is the single drug of choice. It is the single most uh, uh, common issue with regard to campus discipline cases. It's probably the single issue in campus safety that we could address, uh, and uh, we continue to do it through education, enforcement, and alternative programs. Mm-hmm. This is uh, last week we talked with people about um, safety on campus in terms of, of sexual assault, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, and that. I mean, alcohol was the number one issue there, and we should say this is. Uh, an issue that's certainly not unique to Indiana University. This right. is a, uh, something that, that people on all campuses are are dealing with. Um, there are those rankings about party schools that <laughs> come out. I, I, I know that IU has – we've dropped, and that's probably good news in terms of recruitment, isn't it, Roger? <laughs> well, for the types of students we want, it's good news that we dropped, yes. Um, you know, students go to college to learn and experiment and, and find their way, and I think uh, Dean McKaig's office does a good job in trying to help guide them to make the right decisions that hopefully will be beneficial over the course of their life. But. Yeah. Um, that's not the most scientific uh, survey out <laughs> right. there, Bob. So I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in whether we rise uh, or fall in that right. particular ranking. Definitely won't. Well, we're about out of time. I want to thank both of you for being here. Roger, uh, it's a little bit of a surprise to have so many kids in the freshman class yeah. this year. But maybe next year we'll have another 7,000. We can talk with you again. And Dean McKay, always nice to have you, you with us. I want to remind our listeners that uh, you, can have, you can have Noon Edition podcast directly to you. And also you can check our archives uh, on WFIU.org and listen to any of the previous programs. You could hear when these guys were last on or any other programs that we've had. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.